الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين نحمده ونستعينه إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله إن الحكم إلا لله أمر ألا تعبدوا إلا إياه ذلك الدين القيم وأشهد أن سيدنا ونبينا وهادينا محمدا صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم عبده ورسوله وما كان لمؤمن ولا مؤمنة إذا قضى الله ورسوله أمرا أن يكون لهم الخيرة من أمرهم من يطع الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا مضل له ومن يعص الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا هادي له اللهم اجعلنا من الذين يستمعون القول فيتبعون أحسنه ومن أحسن من الله حديثا أما بعد Dear brothers, dear sisters, committed Muslims We are living in killing times we wish the circumstances of the world were not what they are but the facts are looking us straight in the face and sometimes we contribute to our own weakness and to our own vulnerabilities we ourselves we expect an enemy to be an enemy. We expect an imperialist to be an imperialist, a Zionist to be a Zionist. But we don't expect ourselves to be our own enemies. That is unexpected. But when we look at the real world, we find out part of our geography we have Muslims killing Muslims and it seems like it will continue for the foreseeable future we hope and we pray that is not the case but as long as we are deficient in our minds as long as our ideas are not what they are supposed to be as long as we are not listening to Allah closely enough and understanding our Prophet properly enough, these are the results. An ayah that all of us are familiar with in Surah Ali Imran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu, ittaqu Allah haqq 
قتقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون واعتصموا بحبل الله جميعا ولا تفرقوا This command from Allah subhanahu seems to be a very difficult thing for Mus- thing for Muslims to do. Al-i'tisam bihablillah to hold on to the means of Allah. There's some very primitive translation of this says to the rope of Allah. No, it's to the means. Allah has given us an extension of how to do and what to do. If we hold on to that, then we'll find ourselves in positions of togetherness. But, and I think you are aware that there are no holds barred in this khutbah. We try to say the truth and if it's going to get on someone's nerves, that's not our problem. If we express the truth and some people are going to be upset about it, if they want our help, by all means. A diagnosis of our own selves is long overdue. And we've been trying to do this as you are, if you are tuned into this khutbah, as you are aware for the years that we have been here. And to begin with, we Muslims, we have two complexes that we carry inside of us. One of them is the Muawiyah complex, and the other one is the Umar complex. Some Muslims, they live with a misunderstanding of who Muawiyah was, and other Muslims, they live with a misunderstanding of who Umar was. That's our problem. In a couple of sentences, this is our problem. If we can just dig deeper into the facts, then we can qualify ourselves to lock hands and to proceed forward as a united and a solid ummah. I want to first of all deal with the mentality that says you cannot criticize a sahabi. There's no ayah in the Quran that says that. Not one ayah. There's no authentic hadith from Allah's Prophet that says that. Not one hadith. If someone is wrong, they are wrong. If someone is right, they are right. Whoever they may be. Even if it is the prophets of Allah, who can be more dignified and more in rank than the prophets of Allah. When they stepped out of course just a little, Allah corrected them. These are Allah's prophets. 
even the most beloved of Allah's prophets, who is the final prophet, Muhammad alayhi wa alihi salatu wassalam, in ayah 75 of Surah Al-Isra, Allah says to him, وَإِذًا لَأَذَقْنَاكَ ضِعْفَ الْحَيَاةِ وَضِعْفَ الْمَمَاتِ If you, Allah Jalla wa'ala is saying to his most beloved, if you incur the punishment, it will be doled out to you twice in this world, in this life, and twice in the life to come. That's Allah's Prophet. We're not talking about a Sahabi, we're not talking about an Imam. We're talking about Allah's Prophet. The pride, the wives of Allah's Prophet. Ayah 33 in Surah Al-Ahzab. وَمَنْ يَأْتِ مِنْ كُنَّ بِفَاحِشَةٍ مُبَيِّنَةٍ نُضَاعِفْ لَهَا الْعَذَابِ يضاعف لها العذاب. Any one of you, prophets' wives, who is guilty, who comes forth with the sin of immor- immorality, fahisha, her punishment shall be doubled. This is where we take our standards. We acquire our standards from Allah directly from His book. This is what is being said to us. Can we not learn? So now, if a person from the Prophet's generation, forget about titles, if any person from the Prophet's generation around the Prophet does something wrong, we say he did something wrong. If he does something right, we say he did something right. And if there are degrees, there may be a person who is fair. There may be another person who is good. There may be a third one among them who is excellent. And we have to identify this. Now, let us come to the Umar complex. Some Muslims, they carry inside themselves... A Umar complex. They don't like Umar. I'm using a polite word. They don't like Umar. It's ingrained in them. Okay, fine. That's that's part of life. We have to face this. It's the fact of life. And this is where ignorance feeds on ignorance. Now, I want to refer to some of these books of hadith from where this type of attitude comes from. And the books of hadith, whether they are Sunni books or Shi'i books, you can omit a hadith in them, you can add a hadith in them, who's going to know? These are not Qur'an. The books of hadith are not books as the Qur'an is, لَا يَأْتِهِ الْبَاطِلُ مِنْ بَيْنِ يَدَيْهِ وَلَا مِنْ خَلْفِهِ Batil cannot even approach the Qur'an from any direction. From front or from back. From future or from past. The books of hadiths are not like that because they were written like by human beings. 
who did their best to try to collect these hadiths, but they are human beings, they are subject anyways. In one of these books, Bihar al-Anwar of al-Majlisi, one of the ulama who related a hadith from al-Imam al-Baqir. That's the father of Imam Jafar al-Sadiq, who said, قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ وَسَلَّمْ اللهم أعز الإسلام بعمر ابن الخطاب. Now, of course, this this hadith is in Sunni books of hadith, but to say that it exists in a Shi'i book of hadith, that sort of goes against the grain of it. This hadith means, O oh Allah, give izza, give pride to Islam or give immunity to Islam by having Umar ibn al-Khattab become a Muslim. Okay, what's wrong with that? Your dislike of a person goes to the extent of creating a certain discourse of history that has caused right now innocent Muslims to be killed. This goes on both sides. I'm coming to the other side now. Don't worry. Then we come to other scholars, Shi'i scholars, who are suffering from the Umar complex. Ibn Babawayh al-Qummi, al-Imam al-Tusi, and Ibn Abi al-Hadid. He's the one who gave some explanations to Nahaj al-Balagha. And al-Sharif al-Murtada in his book, Sharaf al-Imama. What do they say? You probably are not going to hear these hadiths in other khutbas in other places. But alhamdulillah, even though we are in the street, at least our conscience is free. He says, and I quote, I'll read it in Arabic and then I'll translate it for you in English. أن الإمام عليا دخل عمر وهو مسجى ومكفن إمام علي entered upon عمر while he was the English expression of it is he was lying in state meaning he was dead he was in his coffin and it was an open session where people would come so الإمام علي approached and what did he, this is what he said according to these books. Wallahi, ma ahadun ahabba ilayya min an alqallaha bi sahifatih, bi sahifatihi min hadha al musajja bayna azhurikum. And this is what it means. I swear by Allah, Wallahi. There is not one person more dear to me to come forth with his record of deeds than the one who is in his coffin in front of you. 
Now, does this indicate there was some type of hostility between these two individuals? The false impression of which we live with today that there was some type of animosity between them Abu Lu'lu'ah, the person who assassinated Umar ibn al-Khattab, before, days before he assassinated him, he threatened him. In the presence of Imam Ali who heard this, and Imam Ali came to Umar and said, "It is." I'm paraphrasing here, but the meaning is, it is within your right to see what this person is up to. Unlike today's intelligence services and security forces and all the rest that we have, you go and you threaten the president or the king or the sovereign of a certain country and all of a sudden they'll throw you behind bars and there's interrogation and there's a lot of things that go on. We all know, especially in third world countries. We all know these things. He didn't do Omar didn't do anything. He left the person be. This, you know, right now in the U.S., there's a big issue about what comes first, a person's freedom or the security of the state. You've heard this since 9-11. Big issue. And of course... Omar was ahead of the United States when he gave when he gave freedom the priority and the security of the state was not or at least his own personal security he didn't he didn't do it he had all the right to do it but he didn't do it so this advice from Imam Ali to Omar immediately after the threat Seems like also it doesn't play in the Muslim mind. Why? Ask yourself, why? Because they want this gap. This gap that has created the tension and the animosity that we have today among Muslims. Imam al-Husayn was approached by Omar. Omar told him, I would like to see you. Imam al-Husayn said, okay, I'll, I'll come to you. So, on the evening of that day, Imam al-Husayn was walking towards, let's say, the office of Omar. He didn't have an office, he just had a place. But let's put it in today's vocabulary. He was walking towards the office of Omar. And along the way he saw Abdullah, the son of Omar. He ran into him. Abdullah asks Imam al-Hussein, where are you going? He said, I'm going to see your father, Omar. He said, I I wanted to see him. He's very busy, so I'm on my way uh, out. I'm going somewhere else. So Imam al-Hussein said, well, if he's busy, obviously his son couldn't see him, so maybe I'll see him tomorrow or another time. The following day, Omar encounters Imam al-Hussein, and he asks him, I was expecting to see you yesterday, I didn't see you. 
And the Imam al Hussein explained to him, I was going to see you, like I told you, but I ran into your son, Abdullah, and he told me you were too busy to see him. So I said to myself, if you're too busy to see him, you probably won't be able to see me. So that's why I wasn't there yesterday at your place. And then Omar says to him, do you dare compare yourself to my son? You are the crowns of our head. Another, this is another incident that doesn't circulate around. Why? Because they want Muslims to continue to be enemies of each other. In uh, the, these uh, narrations that I am providing for you come from Sunni and Shi'i sources. So lest someone say, look, oh, you know, he's picking his books and all of these. No, 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 no. There's another incident. It's mentioned in these sources. Among them is Al-Yaqubi, who is considered to be, among some Muslims, a Shi'i point blank and among another other types of Muslims a crypto Shia whatever the case is as I said this is coming from both sources Sunnis and Shias Omar was an average person who had maybe a little uh, business going for him that's how he was living when he became the head of the Islamic government he was living off a little business he had which was beginning to fail because he was tending to the affairs of the Muslims. So what's going to happen now? He was confused. What am I going to do now? How am I going to live? So he asked certain individuals around him, what should I do? And when he asked Imam Ali, he, Imam Ali told him, you consider yourself an average person. You're not the richest person in town and you're not the poorest person in town. You're just an average person and withdraw from the Islamic treasury what an average person makes in this society that we are in so that you can live. And Omar accepted Imam Ali's suggestion and therefore his livelihood was the suggestion of Imam Ali. Does this indicate that there was some hostility between the two men? I ask you in honesty. Now we come to the Muawiyah complex. Some Muslims, obviously Sunnis, they live with a Muawiyah complex. And they say he's a Sahabi and you cannot criticize Muawiyah. If there is anyone who lived during that time period who qualifies for criticism, it is Muawiyah. Muawiyah was a person who was a power monger. He would do anything to gain power and to hold on to power, even if that means killing whoever it is. He wasn't asking. 
no morals, nothing. While we are, for some of you who may not know, comes from a family, Abu Sufyan, his father, was a stingy man. Stingy in every sense of the word. Affluent, but stingy. And his mother was a very ambitious lady. And he grew up in this type of setting. And he bided his time. All of his life he was against Allah's Prophet. Until Islam became the order of the day. And when Islam became the wave of the future, Muawiyah became a Muslim. Very late in those 23 years of the Prophet's sustained struggle. Muawiyah was the one who came up with some Muslims call this a bid'ah. He came up with the bid'ah of someone after a salah giving a maw'idah, giving a moral lesson to the prayer attendees, to the musalleen. That wasn't there before. It was instituted during the time of Muawiyah. After the prayers were performed, Muawiyah would have a retinue. He would have a list of employees who would speak to the public after a salah So if we want to speak about court ulama or scholars for dollars, that began that was institutionalized with Muawiyah. Give you another incident from Muawiyah's life. And there are many of them. There's no time to cover all of these things. But at one time, a young person stole. And he was caught. And the scholars around Muawiyah said, obviously the penalty for this thief is to amputate, to cut his hand. The mother of this person, of this quote-unquote thief, came to Muawiyah and said, Please, he's my only son. Don't cut off his hand. Muawiyah says, How can I do that? This is a legal Islamic punishment. Haddun min hududillah. How can I do this? She said... But he's my only... She pleaded with him, in other words. She said a few things, pleading with him that uh, you can find a way, there's something you can do, etc. Why don't you, she said to him, why don't you consider the suspension of this penalty towards my son, one of your dhunub, one of your sins? So this person, he prob- Muawiyah, probably asked around, what, how can I get out of this whole thing? He said, it's easy. You, you spend a hundred thousand, it wasn't made clear whether they were dirhams or dinars, whatever. They, you spend a hundred thousand of them, give them to the people. Of course, this money is not from his pocket. This money is from the Islamic treasury. 
you give this money to the people so that it's like a kafara for not applying this had to this person. Of course, he did something like that. Person wants to wiggle out of Islamic morality, Islamic principles, Islamic values. That's what they do. And he's done this on many occasions. Imam al-Husayn said to Muawiyah, because of the injustice, because of the tyranny, because of the dictatorship of Muawiyah, he said to him, وَلَا أَرَى لِي عِنْدَ اللَّهِ عُذْرًا فِي تَرْكِ جِهَادِكِ I can't find any excuse to offer Allah to abandon a struggle against you. There's no excuse for anyone exempting themselves from a jihad against you. Why doesn't this circulate among the Muslims? Why isn't this common knowledge among the Muslims? And then, you know what Muawiyah's reply was to Imam al-Husayn? In takidni akidk. That means, if you're going to be against me, I'm going to be against you. Now, who's right here? It's very hard to figure out. An average person. But we are still living with the misinformation that was institutionalized, beginning with King Muawiyah, and still has its effect. We're still paying the bill today. Muawiyah's bill, we are still paying it today. And therefore you have these fanatic Muslims going around killing other Muslims because of this false information they have of their own history. Who was the major opponent of Muawiyah in Muawiyah's mind there were two types of threats he, he considered one of them was a direct military threat and the other one was an indirect ideological threat his direct military threat he dealt with ruthlessly Killing thousands of Muslims. You know, no one says Muawiyah killed hundreds of Sahabis. Oh, no thousands of Sahabis. No one says that. All the other Sahabis are chief, cheap, and then all of a sudden Muawiyah is the valued Sahabi in some of these cobweb minds. Al Hajjaj, who was like Muawiyah's chief of staff. He killed 3,000 Muslims in one day. One day. Remember the world at that time didn't have 7.5 billion people in it. So that's a large number. In today's world it's probably speaking like maybe 300,000 people in one day. That's like an atomic bomb being dropped on a society. And who was responsible for that? Muawiyah. Why can't you see that? What happened? What happened to your common sense? 
What happened to the information that you have from Allah and His Prophet? To look the other way as if He didn't do anything? Muawiyah used to be a merchant. He used to buy and sell. What did he buy and sell? He used to buy and sell liquor. He used to buy and sell figurines of the Buddha. Muslims were going eastward and some of the Muslims came across these types of small figures of the Buddha. Muawiyah would repossess them and sell them. Where is our sense of justice? And that type of ruler continues until today. Who do you think? We have contemporary Muawiyahs all around the place. And they get away with it. They steal the budgets. They're killing Muslims, massacres, wars, all of this. The same attitude and the same behavior then and now. But we have some Muslims, they have the complex of Muawiyah. They can't see through the lies and the fabrications that are 1400 years old. They can't see through that. I don't know. I don't know when when can we wake up. When will we wake up to these facts and this reality? Brothers and sisters, one of the worst persons you may encounter is the one who has deified his own ego. These rulers, and we had plenty of them from that time. I forgot to say Muawiyah's direct enemies were the Khawarij. 3,000 of them killed by Al-Hajjaj. And then we had Bani Al-Abbas. Also a little segment of history that is absent from the segment of the public human, public Muslim mind. In Damascus, the Umayyads, the Umayyad dynasty, massacred pro Bani Abbas people. They brought the bodies inside the masjid. They put the carpets on the mess on the bodies inside the masjid and then they began drinking liquor over the bodies of Muslims in a masjid. Are you surprised to see the fanaticism and the terrorism that we have in today's world? In today's world, We can understand these terrorists, they have foreign connections. But our mind still has not developed the capacity to know that the terrorists of Bani Umayyah also had foreign connections. It's about time that we wake up and live in the real world. Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan warzuqna tiba'ah. وأرنا الباطل باطلا وارزقنا اجتنابه ولا تجعله ملتبسا علينا أقول قولي هذا وأستغفر الله لي ولكم أدعوه سبحانه وأنتم على يقين بالإجابة وتوبوا إلى الله غافر الذنب وقابل التوب شديد العقاب وإليه المصير
الحمد لله بجميع المحامد على جميع النعم وصلى الله وسلم على المبعوث خيرا ورحمة وهدى لكافة الأمم محمد النبي الأمي وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم Dear committed brothers and dear committed sisters We pray for the day when Muslims can take a look at issues of justice and identify them and look at issues of tyranny and injustice and likewise identify them. Hopefully that day will approach sooner rather than later. That is why we're not living in that day that we have millions of masajid around the world empty they're full of people but they are empty of thoughts and concept and direction empty the neo-umawis who rule in the arabian peninsula today they love us to remain ignorant and feed on this Sunni Shi'i complex or schizophrenia. They love it. They watch us. Look at them. They go to their Jumu'ah prayers. And who's giving the khutbah? One of the states or the regime's employee. They give the khutbah and they put Muslims to sleep for a couple of hours or for an hour during Friday. It's about time we begin to wake up. So let's wake up to some of the vices and some of the plots and conspiracies of today's Umawis. The Saudi ambassador in Lebanon made a statement this past week. He said that there was going to be, you know, the Saudi Arabia with the ruling family they have planned a half a trillion dollar industrial mega city on the borders of Saudi Arabia, Jordan and Israel this is planned it's not by it's not the Saudi Saudis uh, with all due respect to the commoner in Saudi Arabia, who is a person like me and you, but those who are planning these types of these types of projects, they, these are done by their superiors in Washington and Tel Aviv. So, anyways, this Saudi person, the ambassador in Lebanon, he says to the Lebanese. This city is going to offer you Lebanese 60,000 jobs. Expect a bright future because of the construction of this mega city. It's going to cost over $500 billion. And then all of a sudden inside Saudi Arabia, the news was heard by the common person in Saudi Arabia. He says, wait a minute here, how about us? Are we going to have any jobs? Are these jobs going away to somewhere somewhere else? Some other people? 
this reaction by itself goes to tell you there's no brotherhood, there's no camaraderie, there's no togetherness. And then they retract, officially the Saudi government retracted the statement made by its own ambassador in Beirut. Another development in this neo-Umawi kingdom. One of their scholars who teaches at Jami'at Muhammad ibn Saud says that if a woman dresses like a man, it's not a woman imitating a man. Now what does this mean? Let me break this down for you a little. There's a hadith by Allah's Prophet, may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him and his, that says, لَعَنَ اللَّهُ الْمُتَشَبِّهِينَ مِنَ الرِّجَالِ بِالنِّسَاءِ وَلَعَنَ اللَّهُ الْمُتَشَبِّهَاتِ مِنَ النِّسَاءِ بِالرِّجَالِ This hadith means Allah has condemned men who present themselves like women or who take on the image of women and Allah has condemned those women who present themselves as men or take on the imagery of a man. That's a basic general meaning of the hadith. So now this so-called scholar from one of their universities, he wants to sell to his conservative public women dressing with jeans or like men or whatever the case that they have planned into the future. So he comes along and gives that type of statement, which falls into many other statements and policies now that are going into effect in that unfortunate geography of the Muslim countries. We have good news that Ansarullah in Yemen have the capacity now to send their drones on bombing missions to certain airports. The military King Khalid airport the civilian airport in Asir, the civilian airport in Abha. They've been out of commission off and on in the past couple of months. This is a score for these combatants who are doing their duty as they should. So much so that in the past couple of days, the Saudis confessed to eight of their troops dying at the borders with Yemen. So much so that the Saudis have sent messages to Islamic Iran and the Emiratis have sent a delegation to Islamic Iran to speak about Yemen. We don't know what the result of all of this is going to be, but just the, this news coming to public view tells us a lot. Then we have this heckle, Jekyll and Hyle or whatever it is game, cat and mouse going on here in Washington DC. The Congress doesn't want to sell Saudi Arabia $8.1 billion worth of weapons and the executive wants to sell $8.1 billion worth of weapons to Saudi Arabia. And the Saudis what do they do? They, at the end, whatever the end result is going to be, they're going to be paying. That's the end result. Good cop, bad cop in Washington, D.C., 
And the bottom line is the Saudis are going to pay out of the Muslim budget. Money that doesn't belong to them belongs to the Muslims. Just like Muawiyah, money, money didn't belong to him, but he paid. And then Saudi Arabia this week says it is willing to have friendly, friendly relations with its neighbor states. And Saudi Arabia, with the ego that they have, they said Saudi Arabia and other Arab countries, as if they speak, and they do speak because they pay money. They're buying Egypt, they're buying Jordan, they're buying Bahrain, they're buying other countries because they have the money. We don't hear any objections from Egypt. Who are you to speak for us? Or Jordan, who are you to speak for us? No. They go along. They follow the dollar. And then Trump, the man in the White House here, he says, we're not, we meaning the United States, we're not going to be the policeman of the world policing the state of Hormuz for Saudi ships, Emirati ships, Chinese ships, Russian ships. This costs money. See how he talks? See what's on his mind? This costs money. Besides, these, these countries that they want us to protect their ships, they have a lot of money. What, what is he saying? He's saying, if you want us to go over there, you have to pay. If you don't pay, you do the job yourself. We're not interested. And Britain, that mother of all evils, Britain, six months after the assassination of Khashoggi, it signed on a military contract to sell $800 million of weapons to Saudi Arabia. And they speak about human rights. They speak about liberal minds. They speak about equality. They, all of this stuff, that's cheap verbiage. That's all it is. Never consider people by what they say. Always consider people by what they do. And then this ex-ambassador and semi-foreign minister in Saudi Arabia, Al-Jubair, this past week, he is pleading with the international community to come and put police the Gulf, virtually begging them, come, help us. They say, are they following Allah's Prophet? Did Allah's Prophet ever tell the Byzantines, come and protect us? Or any superpower in that time, come and protect us? Saudi Arabia, far away from the headlines, is telling the Muslims from the Democratic Republic of Congo, you can't come to Hajj this year. Nothing new. Between the year 2014 and 2016, it told the Muslims from Guinea, from Sierra Leone, and from Liberia, you can't come to Hajj. And what is their explanation? They say that people have Ebola in those countries. Well, you take a, if, if that's your concern, you take a medical test. If they have Ebola, okay, you can stay home. If they don't, you can't just blanketly say, you can't come to Hajj because you're from the Democratic Republic of Congo. And I mean, some official surveys say the population of Muslims in the Democratic Republic of the Congo is about 
It's not like a huge population. Even sub-Saharan Africa, the total amount of Muslims who go to Hajj is about 200,000. About one-tenth of the Muslims who are in Hajj come from that part of Africa. And then the Saudis begin to get away with these types of things. And our speakers on Friday, our khutaba, our imams, our shuyukh, where are you when all of this is happening? Especially now when we are in the season of Hajj. But this is how weak we are. We are not weak because we don't have brains. We have brains, but we don't have them work. We are not weak because we don't have resources. We have plenty of resources. But we virtually give them out to our enemies. That's why we are weak. And at the core of this weakness is our inability to be with each other. We carry this negative attitude towards the other Muslim that culminates in wars and mayhem. Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan warzuqna tiba'a wa arina al-batila batilan warzuqna ijtinaba wa la taj'alhu multabisan alayna waj'alna lilmuttaqina imama ربنا لا تؤاخذنا إن نسينا أو أخطأنا ربنا ولا تحمل علينا إصرا كما حملته على الذين من قبلنا ربنا ولا تحملنا ما لا طاقة لنا به واعف عنا واغفر لنا وارحمنا أنت مولانا فانصرنا على القوم الكافرين ربنا لا تجعل في قلوبنا غلا للذين آمنوا ربنا إنك رؤوف رحيم ربنا صل وسلم وبارك على محمد وآل محمد وصل وسلم وبارك على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم وأقم الصلاة إن الصلاة كانت على المؤمنين كتابا موقوتا الله أكبر الله أكبر أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمدا رسول الله حي على الصلاة حي على الفلاح قد قامت الصلاة قد قامت الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله الله أكبر